So if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word as we explore His Word. Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It is already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. Word of the Lord. Please be seated. Wow. I have a presence. Well, good morning, Christ Community Church, and Happy New Year. It's good to see you guys. Thank you so much, Mike, for reading that for us. Um, you know, I was sitting there singing, and uh, well, I guess I was standing there singing, and just every song was future pointing. Even the uh, Philippians 2 text we read was future pointing. And that's so good because then we come to our passage this morning and it's like, whew, right? Ecclesiastes 1, there's this weight to it. Um, you know, there's a cliff face called Outerly's Edge. I'm going to put a picture of it on the screen. It's right outside Manchester, England. And the views from this 500-foot cliff are just breathtaking, as you can see a little bit of it there. And no, you can't see Manchester United games from there, so there's no free tickets to those games. Uh, well, back in the 1960s, a young college student named Jerem took a train out to Alderley's Edge to climb to the very top. And Jerem was a university student in England, and he was wrestling through a lot of questions. In fact, more than wrestling, he was plagued by questions. Three primarily. What does it mean to be human? What's the basis for good and evil? And how do we solve the problem of suffering? Three major questions. And his parents had fostered in him since his childhood a great love for literature in him. And so he kept, as he read, he kept running into these themes, into these questions about suffering, about the human condition, and so forth. C.S. Lewis touched them, one of his favorite authors, as did Tolkien, Shakespeare, Jane Austen, and others. Those were all some of his favorite authors. They were all Christian. He was a non-Christian at the time. While Jerem was reading Stephen Crane's poetry, Stephen Crane was the one who wrote The Red Badge of Courage. Jerem read how the world, according to Crane, was like a ship set loose on the ocean with no rudder, 
no means of steering. Crane, in his writings, was getting at the absurdity of life, the futility of life that we so often experience. But Crane offered no solution. There is no, and, and here's why. But what this means is, and so troubled by this, Jerem, a teenager, went to his professors asking these questions, but he was turned away by them. He was even mocked for bringing these questions to him in the first place. And in the end, no answers were given, and it led him naturally to despair. And actually a step further where he became suicidal, which was why he was riding, riding a train out to Outerly's Edge in the 1960s to jump off, to take that final step forward. Have you ever pondered these questions or questions like them? Serious when life just hits that wall and those questions come up. If you're like me, you have and you've experienced the weight. You've felt the weight of it. There seems to be, if we can just be frank, a meaninglessness to our existence a pointlessness within the human condition, this hollowness, a reaching, a grasping, but a never ceasing, like a boat looking for shore, but never arriving. That's life under the sun, according to Ecclesiastes. What do we do with that? Like, can we just be honest for like 30 minutes this morning? What, what do we do with that? How do we handle that? You know, every preacher has to decide what to do with the New Year sermon, right? What should I preach on? I can choose anything. And I realize I'm rolling some dice this morning, choosing Ecclesiastes 1 when there's a wide Bible in front of us. Um, you know, I was just talking to Michael DeLon this morning, and he actually discovered he reads Ecclesiastes between Christmas and New Year's because he said it kind of orients him. And I think that was my heart as well. What I want to do this morning is prop up Jesus so high. That's what I want to do. And I want to do that by showing how he is the answer, the only answer, the fulfillment of what's aching inside of every single human being. That's what I want to do this morning. And in that, give us hope and headway in this new year. Because every single person has to deal with being a human. Everyone does. Many would rather not deal with it. And so sometimes it's easier to plug our ears, to pleasure our bodies, to distract our brains until the deathbed. But for Christ followers, we have Ecclesiastes where God looks us in the eye and he shoots us straight. And so if you're in here this morning and you think that this Bible is filled with fairy stories and wishful thinking, that premise dies at the foot of Ecclesiastes chapter one. You want real and raw and direct? You wanna look the human condition in the eye? Why it is at the most essential fundamental level, why it is you are going through what you're going through? 
Do you want to see at the street level through the mirages, through the masks that we put on to cope with things and see why Jesus matters specifically and what exactly he has rescued us from? Well, let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter one this morning. And Mike read the verse for us, the first 11 verses. You can open up your Bibles there. This passage, this book is God's grace to us. Let's take a snapshot of what we already know to be true, but sometimes are too afraid to say it. The verses are going to be on the screen. I have three main points this morning that really sum up life under the sun. And I'm just going to be honest. Uh, they're, they're gut punches. Okay, so you got to hang with me. We're going to get punched three times. Uh, and then it's, to, it's so that by the end, we can actually look up and look at Jesus in a way that is like, okay, now I know specifically what it is you have said, like why you've saved me, why it is we can have a robust hope, even in life under the sun. So here's our first point this morning. Here under the sun, you will not be satisfied. Let's read verses one to two. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And so here we begin with the author, Solomon, the king, nicknamed the preacher or Quohelet. And here is his, the wisest man of all, his conclusion of the human condition. Vanity. And not just vanity, the superlative of vanity. Vanity of vanities. Like in the same way we would say Jesus is the king of kings, Solomon is saying that our condition as human beings is vanity of vanities. But what is that word? What does it mean? In the Hebrew, we read hebel, which means mist or breath or vapor. The idea is something fleeting something elusive. Five times it's used in verse two. It is the theme of the book, vanity. And it is this wise king, king's conclusion that there is just something to our human lives that we grasp for, but we never quite grab. And we feel it every day, if we're honest. There is an elusivity that comes built in. Satisfaction is always just out of reach. At its essence, life under the sun, it's like playing fetch with your dog, except you're the dog. It's like running on a treadmill. We're moving, we're going, but we're like, are we? How many times have you washed dishes, folded laundry, commuted to work, sat through meetings, mowed the lawn, sent the same email, done your taxes, vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, on it goes. So what Solomon is saying is that the most meaningless, elusive place you can ever find is earth. And it's being a human on earth, vanity of vanities. That is in the Bible. That's our text this morning. Let's buckle up. And we all just felt it. We want to say, nuh-uh, but we all just opened up Christmas presents, didn't we? And what happened? Some gifts we've wanted for a long time. I think I'm wearing three of them right now, okay? 
and I, I really like them, so thank you. But they're the moment of opening the presents, right? Shredding open that paper. We're like, you see it viscerally on children, but we grownups are no different. At the very moment of opening the gift, we are just enthralled. Like we're captured, but within a minute, and then a week, and then a year. What was so enthralling, what engrossed our heart is now literally landfill. Nope, says our heart, that, that's not it. But maybe it's another vest, right? Maybe it's something more. And it doesn't happen. So what is your vapor? What is your mist? What tail is it that you are chasing? Is it money? Is it power? Is it reputation? Is it intimacy? Is it friendship? Is it a wardrobe? Cosmetic procedures? Is it mission trips? Traveling? Is it substances, experiences, accomplishments? What is it you're chasing? Like, I so badly want to be a published author. I'll just say it. It's a little embarrassing. I'm not there yet. Maybe one day. But in the unlikely statistic that I become one and I actually get a book published, you think that's going to satisfy me even though I've wanted this for like 20 years? No, I'm going to want to write another one. This one actually that sells. This one that actually makes an impact. This one that might bring in a buck, right? Whatever it is, like you always want more. What is it that you're chasing? Now, many of the things I just mentioned are good things. Hear me, go for them. But if it is all you've got, let's just name what we all will find there at the end of the rainbow. Meaninglessness. Vanity, a non-satisfaction. And so a lot of times when people talk about Ecclesiastes, the first thing people say is, oh, pessimistic. No, not a pessimistic word in this book. Realistic. That's what Ecclesiastes is. God looking us in the eye, being real with us, treating, like, treating us like adults. We so desire God to just shoot us straight. And here are words from him like treads on shoes that help us gain traction in life under the sun. And so as we move into verse three, we're going to reach our second point. It's going to be very happy, I promise. Point number two, here under the sun, you will gain nothing. Ow. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Now, those two verbs are potent, toil, gain. We feel the grind every day, don't we? We do. Even though, and hear me, life is beautiful. Like, I love life. I love my life. The Bible has a lot to say more than just this. But we feel the grind. Think of your routine. Wake up, clean teeth, fill bellies, duties, a little bit of delight, duties, clean teeth, sleep, repeat. And then we have toil. And that's a call back to Genesis 3. God's curse across creation because of Adam's revolt, toil, pain, vanity. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. Adam is told. Every single molecule of creation inhabits this curse. That's Genesis 3. And then Romans 8, Paul says, for creation was subjected to what? Futility. Futility is the Greek word for the Hebrew word vanity. Same thing. Different testaments, same Bible, same God, same teaching. Creation is cursed. Why is it that the world is the way it is? Every single worldview has to answer that question. Why is the world the way it is? Christianity says, well, it's not the way it was meant to be. It's a cursed land. We are a cursed people, just those under the sun, not talking about anything else. We are under the sun. We are toiling. We are never gaining. Now, the Bible has more to say about that, as we'll get to, but that's the starting point of Christianity. It's cursed. This is not the way it was meant to be. Notice how this verse is phrased as a question. It's rhetorical. What do we gain? Nothing. We are dust and we become dust. We come in with nothing. We leave with nothing. Again, I ask, what are you trying to gain? Do you see the vapor there at the end? Go on and take a test drive with making more money. When's enough? With pursuing that forbidden love. With putting your kid in this school versus that school, as if that will satisfy everything. With getting more followers on TikTok. What is it you're trying to gain? Whether it is good, guys, and God is so for it, or God calls it sin, there at the end, if it is all you've got, it will elude you. Here under the sun, you can't gain a thing, not anything lasting in the things that are under the sun. You know, baby sea turtles, I'm so sorry to mention this. This is all some of you guys are going to think of the rest of the sermon and probably year. Baby sea turtles use the light of the moon to navigate from their little sandy nests when they hatch towards the beach, towards the shore. And I heard once of a restaurant that opened up and its porch lights were so bright that when these sea turtles hatched, they followed the light, but it was the wrong light and they got disoriented to their deaths. Is that not a picture of life under the sun, of the human race? I mean, you just look around. People just chasing, just going after the lights. Look at your own life, right? And I'm just talking plain, just us as humans, okay? Haven't really mentioned Jesus yet. He's coming. Chasing lights, going off. Vanity here, vanity there. Like, what do we do? That's a picture. We have been subjected to futility. Now let's read verses four through seven. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around and around goes the wind and on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Now this is wisdom literature. And so sometimes you gotta like feel the text 
kind of feel it? Like, what is Solomon getting at? The treadmill. Even the Pacific Ocean. Even the northern wind. There is a built-in, what's the point? It's just this cycle, this circuit within creation itself. For the creation, Paul says, was subjected to futility. Like, I know this is going to sound weird, okay? I get it. It's weird. Have you ever thought about earth from the moon's perspective? Okay? Like, put on the face of the moon for a second, okay? And look at earth. This is weird, okay? But just do it. I think it's helpful. You're looking at the earth, and a generation comes. Like a wave upon the shore. And this generation is idealistic and hopeful and young, and it's growing, this generation, up until innocence is lost. And there is love and there is war. And upon this generation, disease, pandemics, accomplishment, a sense of progress, and then death. The wave recedes. What happens next? The next rolls in. And what's new with this new generation? What's actually different? A building on top of the other generation, sure. But ultimately, from the moon's perspective, nothing. Because then the next comes in and then it leaves. And here we are. Here we are. Watch us. And now we're in 2050. 2070, right? What's new? What absolutely is gained? Nothing. And naturally, there's a weariness to it. Verse 8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The whirlwind, the treadmill, the repetition. What does man gain by the toil? Nothing but meaninglessness. This is life under the sun. This is a cursed land inhabited by cursed people. So we've had two happy, happy points so far. You won't be satisfied. You won't gain a thing under the sun. Our third point, just brace yourself. I'm so sorry. There's the old stab and twist. But these three points will leave us in a place very soon where we get to look up and see what exactly Jesus rescued us from. Point three, here under the sun, you won't even be remembered. Let's look at verses nine through 11. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It's been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I have here a book and there's a picture of the author on the screen. This book, I think I got it. I have to talk with Mei Mei. Um, from an estate sale a few years back, I think for a quarter. It's called Traps for Men, written in 1891 by a guy named Thomas Talmadge. Anybody ever heard of Thomas Talmadge? We've got, one, we've got two. Let's go. We've got three, four. Oh, whatever, Silas. That's not true. You have not. You, actually, you probably have. You probably have. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. It's amazing that not all of our hands go up. This is a Presbyterian preacher who preached in New York. 
Like that's not so far from us. 130 years ago, you know, American, Christian, he preached to 8,000 people every Sunday. His sermons got published in 3,000 journals. He wrote a bunch of books, very solid doctrinally. He's a brother in Christ. And yet most of us have never heard of him. He, like all of us will, he was swallowed up by time. Look here at this tombstone. I love going to cemeteries. And I find them to be a sacred place. I think I kind of learned to appreciate them when we buried my dad. Even our memorials will fail us. Um, in the end, there is no remembrance of former things. That hits hard. As the youth say, that slaps. Am I cool, Skeet? Am I cool for saying that it slaps? Yeah? You're lying to me in front of everyone. Yeah. It's a vain thing for me to chase being cool to youth. I'm not, not going to do it. Again, these points are gut punches. And like we want to say, nah, but we can't because we feel it. That we lack satisfaction chasing the things of this earth. That we have a non-gaining existence and we feel it. And the reality underneath it all, that we won't be remembered. But the feeling of the weight of the human condition that I hope and I've prayed, we are all feeling right now, I believe is a sacred thing. It is God's grace to us. Because as we look around at this cursed land, our conclusion, like Solomon's, must be vanity. That it's elusive, that there is a restless, non-satisfying meaninglessness to it. Like a ship floating on water. But here is where Christianity, Christianity's good news comes rushing in. Like a rope flung towards your ship out of the fog and you grab onto it. Just because we can't find meaning here under the sun in the things under the sun does not mean there is no such thing as meaning. It just means we're looking in the wrong place. Just because we can't find meaning here under the sun in the things under the sun does not mean there's no such thing as meaning. It means that we're looking in the wrong spot. C.S. Lewis, an atheist turned Christian, wrote, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world under the sun can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And church, as we start this new year, I don't know of a better truth than to just proclaim, in Christ, we don't belong here. If you're scraping for hope with the things under the sun, man, better option. Look to Christ. We don't belong here. Vanity might be the theme song under the sun. But what if someone came from above the sun to enter into our vanity, to enter into our toil in order to usher in a kingdom, a kingdom that begins in this world, but extends into the next. Because that's precisely what Jesus, the true king, did. 
God himself, the second person of the Trinity, entered our vanity of vanities. And Galatians 3 became a curse for us. There on the cross, he became sin and died in order to set us free from the curse, which is death from sin. And by trusting in him, Jesus, he gives us his righteousness. And that righteousness is the only way to access this next world. No more let, sin and, let sins and sorrows grow. That's a song we sang probably all throughout Christmas a thousand times. Joy to the world. One of the verses. Nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. How far is the curse? Every atom, every zip code, every person. How far, therefore, how thorough is Christ's salvation? Enough to reach you and me, to say the least. So for those of us in Christ, the curse is no more, not ultimately. The penalty for sin, death, has been removed. Jesus came from another world to become a curse in this world in order to bring us to that other world, heaven, our home. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter uses the language of inheritance, which is really helpful. That is so helpful as a term for our salvation because like it's ours. Guys, the inheritance is ours, but we don't experience it quite yet in its fullness. A future kingdom of actual satisfaction, the likes of which like we can't even fathom right now, is ours because of and in Christ, but it is future. There is a future tense to salvation. We don't yet experience all that Jesus accomplished on the cross. It is coming. And there is no news better than that. For those of us who just bump up against vanity, all of us, for those of us who walk under the sun, toiling, non-gaining, this is not it. This is not all there is. This life under the sun is not Jesus' great reveal. Christianity gets real and honest about vanity and explains it clearly as a curse, a curse that's our fault, a curse that we can't solve. The great reveal is that the one who pronounced the curse became the curse for us so that we in Christ might be rescued and redeemed. And we will experience that in the last time, as Peter says. But until then, 
It's like, here we are. We're still here. Even as Christians, we aren't satisfied. We deal with the toil, the non-gaining, all while knowing we won't be remembered. But in Christ, all of that changes, though so much of it is future, and that is good news. So two final thoughts as we close. First, in those moments when you and I, we bump up against our own conditions, and we feel the weight of a world we don't belong to upon our shoulders, and we're flirting with despair, and our bodies even betray us with pain and affliction, and things just stink when life hits, in grace, let's switch things up. Let's treat those bumps as a trail of crumbs leading us into the future, as a peak around beyond the darkness, as reminders of the kingdom Christ has made for us. In other words, let the present vanity point you to your future in Christ. We can flip it on its head there. We Christians, above all people, can be honest about the toil and the pain and the vanity of life. But at the same time, we, above all people, wield hope that we don't belong here. Our belonging, our satisfaction, our hope is elsewhere that Christ has provided for us. And second, guys, we walk in a cursed land alongside cursed people, people still under the curse. How far does the gospel go? As far as the curse is found. What lengths must be taken? Great lengths. We are a people who have been redeemed. Go, therefore, and declare good news of Jesus. Go, and therefore, see sin break and the very righteousness of Christ clothe other people. Go, therefore, and labor to see vanity transform into hope. That is our calling. That is our privilege. You know, up there on Outerly's Edge, that college student, Jerem, he did not take the final step forward. Back there in the 1960s, he looked out from the summit. And I quote from his experience, I stood on the edge of the cliff, ready to cast myself over. But then I was struck by the beauty of nature before me. I wouldn't have called it creation at that point in my life, but I thought, I've got to keep searching. There's got to be a reason why this world is so lovely. And so he took a step back. And I kid you not, just a few days later, he met a Christian named Michael, not Loudermilk. And there on Michael's kitchen floor, Michael answered Jerem's three questions and all the follow-up questions using Ecclesiastes chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three. And within a year, Jerem came to faith. So this is a strange book. And we have felt it this morning. And it doesn't apologize. But even though this world is beautiful and gorgeous, and like, again, 
I love my life. We've got to be able to answer the vanity. And Jesus does. Jaron Bars went on decades later to become my favorite professor in seminary by a mile. Um, he impacted me and, and my wife. She took every class of his as well so thoroughly that in some ways, like I see myself as an arrow fired from his bow, if you know what I mean. And so I'm grateful to God for these verses. I'm grateful to God that in this new year, we can know that Jesus is with us in the vanity, but also that he has provided a future home for us where vanity will be no more. Amen. I'm also grateful that in this new year, we're entering a season, 2023, of giving and building. And so just to share my own heart for a moment, it is so sweet of God to give us the location that he gave us up there on the hill. He did not have to do that. And so I am giving and I am praying for that future teenager who's going to be up there on track 17, right up there. And they're going to be weighed down wrestling with the questions that we know everyone as a human experiences, but especially in those teenage years. And maybe they're just going to look out. And I don't know, it could be in five years, it could be in 15, it might be my own kid. They look out, plagued with the questions. And the view that they see, the beauty, the actual beauty of that space surpasses that of Alderley's Edge. And they say, maybe this isn't nature. Maybe this is creation. And they're able to turn back around. And I'm praying and I'm giving towards a church family inside that building that is so biblically equipped that we don't mock the questions. That we don't turn them away. But that we meet them there in the vanity, point them to the someone who came from above the sun to take the curse for us, to provide us a home and a belonging here under the sun for a home that's future. This is gonna be an exciting year, y'all, and I am so excited. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus's name and we just acknowledge that life is difficult. And a lot of us are in really, honestly, awesome seasons of life right now. And that is a mercy. And we don't take that lightly. And you're not teeing us up just to smash us. That life is so beautiful because you are so merciful. But we've had seasons that have just been almost too much. And God, that's where a lot of us are right now. It, I mean, just feels absurd. Like, where are you, God? But Father, we know that you have entered and that you have provided and that you are shepherding now, but that there is also a future that our eyes can look up and say, yeah, I, I will endure with my savior, with my shepherd now, knowing that one day this will be no more. You bring us hope in that. And so God, I pray that you bless us this year. Bless us. Grant us success in whatever we're doing, if it's honoring to you, Lord, and bless others through us. We don't want to be 
cul-de-sacs where you're just blessing us and we're just getting bloated with that. We want to be conduits of gospel ministry, all to make your name great. God, bless us to bless you. Bless us to bless others to bless you. And whether that's in our flourishing, like in the green pasture that we are experiencing, or in our vanity, may we be a people that lifts up our hands to you and says, God, you are good. God, you are provider. God, you are hope. Whether we're up high or we are down low. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.